Hello and welcome to another version of the American Scouser podcast. My name is Gally and I'll be hosting tonight in the big chair as Tamuchin is off with some family affairs watching his daughter play some footy herself. So we wish her well. Hopefully she has a great match. And that means you're stuck with just the two of us for the next 60 minutes getting you caught up on the week in Liverpool. So Paul, how are we today? Uh, I mean, you know it's a Monday when Crystal Palace is the lone bright spot. It does let you know that you had a case of the Mondays. But for any of you who haven't heard the great news yet, that Crystal Palace was able to take off two more points from our rivals at the top of the table, a uh, riveting nil-nil draw that probably saw Palace uh, have about three really great opportunities to steal all three points and probably about 50 opportunities that they should have been behind 1-0, 2-0, or 3-0. But we will take all the gifts we can. Uh, but before we get into uh, the match from this weekend, a uh, little review of the Brighton, we wanted to bring a little bit of news here and give a congratulations to our main man, uh, Joel Matip. We all love Matip. We know what he brings both in an entertainment uh, value as well as what he brings uh, on the pitch, which I think as anyone who's been listening to this podcast can attest, uh, many members have been calling him our best defender since the beginning of the campaign. And I'm not sure that that is that far off, but uh, not only if you're watching us on uh, StreamYard or you're checking us out on Facebook, you'll also see here at the bottom, we have some uh, really cool uh, different t-shirts. These are some original prints that we have available in our store right now. So if you're looking for uh, something to be a little bit different at the Supporters Pub, feel free to check out uh, the American Scouser shop and go ahead and place an order through that website. If you have any ideas or things you want to see, feel free as always to leave comments, like, uh, let us know or share your feedback with us. I know I can't wait till I see one of us rocking one of those uh, T-shirts in one of these pods coming up shortly. And I'm, I'm sure you have one on the Christmas list already. I wanted one, but I wanted one in yellow, and Timuchin shot me down very quickly with that. It's all right, though. I'm going to yeah. go red and yellow. I've learned from a while now. Uh, I, I've realized that I get no say on color for the plain fact that I am colorblind. So I see just about every shade of every color incorrectly. So basically, when I make a comment, it's usually like, no, 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 that's not what that is. Uh, so, yeah, so Kelly not only picks my fantasy team, 90% of the time she picks the clothes that I'm in as well. But uh, we'll roll in here to the match on the weekend. And let's start where we normally do, Paul. Uh, you know, if like us, we're on the East Coast. It's 6.30 in the morning, and the lineup rolls through. And you get your first whiff here of Jurgen's starting 11. I don't know if we had that many surprises. Uh, any of it jump out at you to start? No. I mean, assuming that Thiago is not 100%, this is always the – I mean, this is sort of fallen into the, the best starting 11. Like, this is the one that we're regularly seeing. So, um, no, not surprised um, with the Jota and, you know, injury and the Thiago injury. I think this was the best available 11. Yeah, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, I think there were some folks maybe a little bit surprised 
uh, to see Kata in there, thinking it might be somebody else. I personally have been um, really pleasantly um, not surprised as much as I've been encouraged by his more recent performances. Even his spot start in the League Cup, uh, his last couple starts, including one in the Champions League, I thought he's really started to settle in and, and, and really find some of his own role. And I think that's really important for him. Um, one area that I was a little bit surprised, uh, I did think we would see Jota start in one of the front three positions in this match. And I think this also speaks to the fact that, you know, he's probably not 100% fit and making the bench made sense. And I think this is really the beauty of some of that um, depth that we've been talking about with, you know, the acquisition of Diaz, with some of our players coming back from injury. We're not required to roll out a Bobby Firmino at 70% or ask Jota to go play 90 minutes when he's not 100% fit. And I think that's a really key, you know, factor as we continue to build uh, from there. So, you know, the, the first half, for me, we started a little bit slow. Um, it felt like we were a little bit disjointed at times. It didn't feel like the passes were crisp. We were turning the ball over in some tough spots. Um, I, I feel like anytime we have these early lunchtime games over there, we always seem to come out uh, just kind of a, a step slower. And, and maybe that's just the players having to go through their morning process a little bit earlier and trying to get up for that match. It was probably around the 20, 25 minute mark that I felt the game finally turned and we started to, you know, break through some of their lines and some of the passes. Paul, what do you think, what do you think contributes to some of these slow starts? I don't really have an answer for that. I mean, <clears throat> I think part of it is Brighton's a, I mean, for UK standards, it's a pretty long trip. I mean, you're going down all the way down there and then you've got an early kickoff. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, Brighton traditionally sets up and gives us problems. I mean, last time they used a double pivot, this time it looked like almost like a box in one diamond four four two. Um, so it was a different formation that we saw than we saw last time. Um, but I mean they're they're a well drilled, I mean, I know the results don't always show it, but I think they're a pretty well drilled team. Um, and so I think that was there's a combination of that. Um it's just taking us time to sort of get in the flow of the game. And then us also just taking some time to start breaking what they do down a little bit better. Yeah. And, and, and it was evident too, as, as the, as the match started to, as started to play out in the first half, it felt to me like we were kind of going through the paces. We were feeling them out a little bit. They weren't playing as open as you always see them play. And I wondered if in some ways that didn't set us back a little bit where we actually thought they would come out playing at home and try to take the match to us a little bit more early on. Maybe we were going to sit back and kind of hold on that pressure a little. And it felt to me like we were in like a boxing match where we were just kind of like throwing punches back and forth. And then right around the 30 minute mark, I'd say we landed, we landed the first blow and I'll, I'll raise my hand and say it. I felt like in that, you know, to steal that boxing analogy, I was afraid we might, you know, get a knockout shot and actually take the harder hit on it. So Diaz breaks in, um, you know, the wonderful ball comes through. 
I still to you know watching it over and over just how um just how brave he had to be to score that goal. You know, he he looks down, he can see Sanchez coming out. You know, the announcer made uh, the point of it multiple times during the telecast that, you know, here he sees him coming. At any point, he can go a little bit softer. He can, you know, tense up a little bit. And I honestly think he's probably going to get injured and not score the goal, but he gets his head on it. He knocks it down. He makes it goalward. And then the collision. So, Let's start with the goal, and then we'll work our way to the aftermath. So, first off, <clears throat> incredible, incredible ball from Mata, our player of the month, and our newest T-shirt. Um, awesome, awesome ball, over the top. Like, it was just a phenomenal ball. Um, incredible bravery by Diaz to get in there, because, I mean, I think he knows that he's going to get smoked. I mean, you have to when you're going in, out of the corner of your eye. I think he knows what's coming. Um, which in my opinion makes the, the challenge from Sanchez even worse. Um, just because like, he's got full visibility. He can see what's in front of him and he doesn't fully commit to the challenge either. Um, so yeah, I mean, great ball, great bravery. Um, I didn't love that challenge. Um, but I mean, hands off the DS for sticking his head in there and, you know, you know, Klopp did the right thing. It gave him a Klopp hug and pat on the butt got him out there and it was good to see that he wasn't um severely injured because um we've seen some of these head head injuries be pretty ugly yeah and and we are we are going to talk here about um you know we are going to address the var incident and the post-match commentary a little bit later in our discussion so let's stay in the moment you're watching that match you see the goal go in after the excitement and, uh, you know, nervousness about is Diaz really hurt? Could this be a serious injury? And you hear that VAR is going to take a look. Take me through, and I, this is a scary place that I am bringing all the listeners into. Take me through what's going through Bickler's mind at that moment when VAR gets brought into play. Well, in my mind, I thought it's a straight red. I don't think they're going to give it, but I don't know how they don't give it like on the body of evidence, because like when you slow it down, it only gets worse. So that was my opinion. Like the more they slow this down and look at it, the worse in my opinion, it appears because Sanchez is not fully committed to that challenge has the entire pitch in front of him, chooses to stick out an arm and a leg at, at, a dangerous height. Um, I just don't know how you don't consider that a reckless endangering challenge. Like by definition, it doesn't get more clear for me. Um, I wasn't, I'm not like the sad thing is I wasn't even angry anymore when we didn't get it. Like I, I wasn't even upset. I just like, kind of like, I'm just resigned to the fact that we're going to get this wrong. And that's the problem is like we brought this entire system in is to make crucial decisions that affect outcomes of games and get them right. And we're not, we're not getting any more of them right. In fact, it seems worse because now we're talking about it instead of talking about the actual match. Like, and it's just, uh, it's super, super frustrating across the board. I don't, I don't understand. Um, I mean, you'll get into what Stuart Atwell says, but I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, 
I definitely immediately thought to myself, they're not going to send him off because at first I was thinking it was more, you know, goal scoring opportunity. They, they've kind of gotten rid of the triple jeopardy where you can see a red be sent off and concede a penalty. Right. And I do believe if in that instance, the ball trickles two feet to the right and it goes to the right of the post and it's a corner kick or it's a goal kick. Right. I actually believe that Sanchez is going to see red immediately for denial of a clear and goal scoring opportunity. And that's what I hate about it is, is I feel like they use the minutia of these laws to, you know, they all said, we don't want to re-referee matches, right? That was their whole thing about why they were fighting VAR coming in. But instead of re-refereeing matches, they're just incorrectly applying the laws of the game. And, and so here, and here's the problem with that. Like, so say we don't have any transparency with this, right? Rugby has a mic'd up. We don't have any mics. So we get zero transparency on any of the communication between the officials. If that's the way it's going to be, fine. Don't fucking comment on it after the game then. Like, if you're not going to be transparent, I don't want to hear what the official statement is from them. Because what you're saying is what I was thinking. Like, okay, so we scored. It's kind of like the double jeopardy thing when there's a penalty, right? We're not going to – we're going to give the penalty, but we may not get a, a straight red card because, like, you know, you pick one. It's like that double jeopardy rule. That's sort of like that unwritten rule in football. That's what I was thinking. But what they said after the game – when we get to that quote, completely contradicts that. So, and that's the concerning thing to me is that they're making statements after the match, like the same statement they made after the city match on the non handball call, like the statements that they're making are amplifying it. Like in my opinion, it makes it a thousand times worse. Cause now I'm con like legitimately concerned about collusion, corruption, and just overall intelligence because the comments that they're making about why they're making these calls are almost worse than the calls themselves, which is like, that's a feat in it itself. Like if you're going to sit here and tell me that you're not able to find any clear evidence that Sanchez made contact, like that's a major concern for me in terms of like, your just ability to do the job that we're asking you to do. Because I think if you pulled a hundred people on that, you're shooting right around 96% on people that say, would say that they saw contact. Like, I think 96, and that's me being fairly liberal with that number. I think it's probably closer to 100. Like it just, and then them coming out and saying this stuff to me is, is like, like that's even worse. Like if we're not going to know why, don't tell us because you saying this is like now we have now like now for for me we should have real concern. Yeah, and and for those for those uh, you know that are uh, tuning into the audio only podcast. You know, currently we have a visual on our screen where we're talking about it's the actual statement from the PGMOL. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read that here now for anyone that is just listening in. It's the VAR operator, Stuart Atwell, was unable to find any clear evidence that Sanchez made any contact for, with Diaz from all the camera angles available to him at the time. Therefore, Mike Dean was correctly not asked to take a look at his pitch side monitor. And, and ultimately I have a lot of problems with the statement and I'm like you, Paul, I think the fact that they speak and I don't like this in any sport, by the way, I don't like that the NBA tells teams two days later that you should have got a foul in the last 15 seconds of a playoff game that could cost the coach's job. 
and a family to have to move, right? I don't like that the same way I don't like these statements. Um, my bigger issue are the hanging on words like any contact or any clear evidence. If you could not see that there was physical contact and an attempt to injure a player by seeing that on video, they need to scrap the entire system. Because I could see it, you know, in Feeding Hills, Massachusetts, you know, with six cups of coffee. And yes, all of you people listening from American Scouser and the contributor side of things in our Discord channel. It was coffee, not gross tea, coffee. But uh, if I had five cups of coffee, eight cups of coffee, 15 cups, it wouldn't have changed anything. I'm still going to see that that was a reckless play. And for that, you know, they talk all the time about how you don't have to make contact with your studs to be sent off if the leg is high enough and there is a chance for a real injury to occur. And there was intent by the goalie to clear out the player. I don't believe he wanted to hurt the player, but his intentions could have led to Diaz having massive injuries. And the fact that that's not being protected by a follow-up and the fact that these folks would rather put out a bullshit statement like this to actually protect the referee on the field and the guy in the booth who failed it is really what's disgusting because this was supposed to be about protecting the players and to protecting the rules of the game to get rid of diving, cheating, and frivolous goals that are scored incorrectly let's be honest when they came up with VAR the original reasoning was to eradicate the game of soft penalties it was almost in the wording of it and instead it's become a way to mitigate goals being scored so it's like you know they say offsides was here right everything was put into play because they want to change the rules to increase the offensive game and to get more goals and yet all VAR does, in my opinion, is look for reasons to take goals away. And they're not even looking for the protection. And that's the part that makes it the most upsetting to me. Um, so we will uh, we'll, we'll pull this back down. We'll come back a little bit later to some other parts of uh, VAR and other items that we're looking at. But to me, that's, you know, that is a red card all day long. And I think they knew they made the mistake. And to Paul's point, I think it's why they tried to craft a comment and it just didn't fly. And I think that's really where we just keep seeing this. So we scored the first goal. We start to look much, much better uh, as, we, as the half moves on and as we move forward. Paul, there was a lot of talk in our Discord channel for any of the folks um, that are on here that haven't heard about us talk about it. It's a uh, interactive talk group that we have with Liverpool supporters, uh, mostly across the country. I guess with Kazi moving home, it'll be uh, across the pond as well uh, with some of the users that we have in there. But we chat about all kinds of things from transfers uh, to in-match commentary. So one of the items that kept coming up was Mane through the middle. Money through the middle. Um, do we like it? Why are we seeing it? Should we expect more of it? So let's start, Paul, with what is your opinion of Sadio Mane when his role is primarily being played 
you know, through the middle in the Bobby slash Shota uh, mold. I mean, it's a solid seven to 10 for me. Like, I mean, it's not anything that I get overly excited about, but it's not anything that I also like get discouraged or upset about. Like, I think, <clears throat> I think this is kind of a product of the moment right now. We've got a, a, a not a fully fit Bobby. We've got not a fully fit Jota. You have Salah on one side. You've got arguably the best newcomer to, to that's been in a red shirt in quite some time in Diaz and the way he started. Um, and I think it's twofold. I think this move is try to jumpstart Mane's form. Um, and it's also to reward Diaz for coming in and lighting the world on fire. I mean, he's, he's on the back of like two or three matches where he's been the most dangerous, impactful player on the pitch, a pitch that includes Mo Salah. Um, and so I think for me, Diaz is undroppable right now. So that leaves you two choices. You can start and rotate out two not fully fit strikers, or you could put Mane middle. And I think Mane middle gives you a different look. His press game is really strong and still there. And I think it allows Mane to be in the center of the action to try to jumpstart his form. And he's done relatively well. I mean, he's put away chances that have been put in front of him. Um, I think he does a good job with the press up top. Um, I don't hate it. I think – I really think it's a situation where he's looking to get some confidence back for Mane and he's looking to reward Diaz. Yeah, I, I I personally saw it as one, um, just like you, I think that Diaz has almost put himself in a position where, especially, you know, coming off a match where he hadn't started the one prior, that, you know, really, I think we're going to see the, the player who gets 20, 30 minutes from that rotation is probably going to pick up the next start. And I think we will see a little bit more of, you know, a, a, a four for three basically, is what I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see a combination of Diaz, Mane, Mo, and Jota primarily start most matches in our front three and some type of rotating basis. I think Bobby will be playing a much bigger role from the bench. Um, I do think there'll be specific matchups. You know, I would love for Bobby to be ready to start the City match. Uh, I just think he just does so many things to pull them into different spaces and, and really makes their center backs work and and I think there's tactical setups where he thrives in, one of which is, you know, we're going to get to the preview um, with Arsenal tomorrow, though this Arsenal is a little bit different the way they're playing uh, right now, uh, both defensively and in the midfield. Their shape's a little different than it's been in the past. Where I have my problems with Mane through the middle is, is that I do th still think that he doesn't interchange as well with with Mo and you know the and Diaz loves to stay wide which I think is what makes him important on that left hand side and I think that's what offers a completely different feel for me which is why I really believe that the Diaz starting on the left against the big clubs and starting on the left in those big matches where we really need that depth and need that width is going to be really, really important moving forward because he created space in that match for Tiago to do some really nice things in the second half. And I got really excited. And I also felt that we saw a little bit of a better version of Nabby in the first half as he got more comfortable playing into some of the space with Diaz, which, you know, as we all know, I think our players bring, there are certain little, you know, triangles that make 
players better. And we've been all talking about like, when will we find, you know, Nabby's buddy on the squad? Like someone that Nabby clicks with and that, it, and that they play off each other with their skills. And I'm wondering if some of his drive and power and his press game isn't going to really help as he and Diaz create more and more uh, of a, you know, of a synergy playing together. And for me, that was one of my biggest highlights from that match was seeing them work together with Robo on the left-hand side. So, um, you know, it, it was brought up in our discord channel that it looked like Mo might've been carrying a, a little bit of a knock. Uh, he had been limping a little, he was running. Did you notice it in live time, Paul? Cause I didn't pick up on anything until after he took the penalty. So I was just wondering if you happened to see it or no, if you knew when it. it occurred. Yeah, I saw it. It happened around like the 60 minute mark and he was just, okay. uh, yeah, he was, uh, had like a little hitch in his stride. You know, you could tell something was bothering him a little bit. And the fact that he didn't make training suggests he's not going to play versus Arsenal. So I would be per, I would be mentally prepared for that. Everybody who's listening, I don't expect he'll play versus Arsenal, which is pretty unfortunate, um, considering the fact that that's going to be probably our toughest matchup and run that out. That's not City, um, but I mean, and we'll get to the lineup. I think the nice thing about that is uh, we have depth, right? And we have frontline depth. I think you mentioned it. I think Diaz is huge staying wide. And the reason that is is because we don't have Bobby in every match because what Bobby does is allows you to play two inverted wingers. It allows you to play two wingers that prefer to cut in and, and, uh, and do that because the, he drops deep enough to allow that to happen. So essentially we end up playing with two strikers in Mane and Mo. So Diaz's ability to stay wide really helps that situation when we're when it's Joe up top. Um and so, I mean, I think, I think that Diaz signing is going to be so incredibly impactful in shaping the team for years to come. Um, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface with him, which is really, which is really pretty incredible. And uh, Boaz chimed in with, he misses Bobby. And I, I think we, everyone on this podcast surely misses Bobby. I know he comes up constantly in our discord channel. I think there's, I think there's a combination of missing his play, um, missing his presence and his smile and the happiness that he brings. You know, there's something to be said about having a guy, you know, wear the number nine on your jersey, have a world-class goal in him at any moment, but then outwork every single person on the pitch, do all the little things, and be just as happy when, you know, one of his two wingers on either side of him scores the game-winning, you know, the match-winning goal. And, and I think that's what I love about him. He always looks like he's having a good time. Uh, and he always gives maximum effort. And he has, you know, a special moment in the locker at any, at any given time. And I can't wait till he's back. But, I, you know, I've said it here before. I, I still don't foresee him being, you know, a 90-minute player or really a first 11 starter consistently moving forward for this club. And I think that's some of the, you know, that is some of the great things that happen when you buy. And it is also something that I think you look to revel in when you have this type of depth and we all wanted players. And then once we got players, it's like, but I want, I want this guy to play every match. I want this guy to play every match. And I think you have to get used to that. Um, one of our Facebook users had asked a question, you know, had Jurgen Klopp hasn't said he won't 
has he? And I think he's referring to um, the Mo Salah. No, he hasn't. But the fact that he wasn't able to train on the Monday with only one more day uh, before the match being on Wednesday, uh, the fact that it seemed like it was a precautionary substitution, but that it was clearly something in the back of his leg makes me think that at best he'll be on the bench. Uh, but I could see, you know, wrapping up the striker and, you know, and Wolcott and leaving him home, letting him get extra treatment and not even putting him on the coach or taking him through the travels. You know, I, I, I could see it making sense to just get him ready for next weekend, you know, maybe even send him out of the FA cup semifinal or, you know, quarterfinal and give him the international break and just, you know, have him ready for that city match. Cause we all know how important that city match is going to be. We need a healthy Mo. And as much as I do agree with Paul that I, I not only think it's going to be a big match, I think it's going to be a tough match on Wednesday uh, against the Arsenal. I do believe that you can't risk Mo going down to injury, especially when we're still competing on three fronts uh, with a real shout to win all of those titles should we be able to get our form back and, and put that run together. So um, any other thoughts, Paul, on the match as a whole? Um whether it be the substitutions we saw, any other play from anybody before we kind of move on to a couple other topics here? Uh, I'm just trying to – man, We I just feel like the matches are coming thick and fast, so it's hard for me to kind of – trying to think. I don't think I have a whole lot – no. I mean, I – you know, Timichin likes to mention when we're not playing great that the passing's all off. And I think that that's probably partially down to fatigue. And I think that that's probably correct. It was a little bit disjointed across the board, but I think when you're going, I think these wins are are title winning wins. When you're not playing your best and you scrape through and you keep a clean sheet and you win tough and ugly, I'm okay with that. I think these are, these are, that's how you win titles. I think um, other than that, I mean, we touched on it. I thought Nabby was pretty solid. I thought Hendo had some pretty good moments. Uh, Fab, I thought Fab was actually world-class in this one. I thought he cleaned up a lot of stuff in the midfield um, in a very uh, quiet way like he normally does. Um, yeah, I think we hit it all. I don't have much much else on that. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. I think this is maybe the perfect way to wrap this up. Um, you know, if there was a negative out of that match, it probably was the fact that Adam Lallana has his moment pre-match, his big conversation with Klopp. They tell him to go get ready at the half, and he comes on in, in classic Adam Lallana fashion. I'm pretty sure he was injured off by the 48th minute after appearing in the 45th. And I just feel bad for the guy. He was an amazing servant to the club. You know, I think Jurgen Klopp has said over and over that he's not sure his system and his style and everything would have ever been implemented if it actually hadn't been for Adam Lallana. Like he genuinely was the first name on the team sheet at the beginning for Klopp from like day one, yeah. because he did everything he asked him to do. And he understood the pressing and, and the movement. And I just think he understood the space. And I think he taught other players how to do it. And I don't know that he ever gets enough credit because he was so injured. But when the guy was healthy, he was nothing but class for the club. And you can more. see it. I always say it. You can tell how someone is thought about when they leave, right? Like, like in sports. 
And every Liverpool player to a man was getting over to Adam Lallana to tap him on the head and to say thanks to him, to give him a nod, you know? And I think it always says a lot when you leave a team or a club and you see that response when you come back. And every time they play Adam Lallana's squad, it feels like there are five guys on Liverpool that just want to get over and talk to him and see how he's doing. And I'm not sure we've seen that with some of the star players who have left that have even left on good terms. And I just don't think he gets enough credit. So while we talk about star players, and unfortunately, regardless of the terms, we talk about players leaving. That means we also talk about when players have contracts that require our discussion. And we've avoided this topic because at times we felt that we didn't have anything to report on. And we were just kind of moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, and at this point, I think it is important that we touch on some of the recent news from this week regarding Mo Salah and obviously his impending contract. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, arguably the most in touch and, and connected um, journalist in Europe when it comes to pre premium transfers across the continent. Um, had a big tweet last week where he basically said that Salah and his agent have no intention to accept the current new contracted. Uh, talks have completely broken down since December. And as things stand, um, the priority is still to say, but not at the current condition. And basically it was put out there like, let's see what Liverpool does with the next move. So, you know, Boaz makes a great point. You know, conditions equals money. I do think there is some of that. Uh, I do believe this is about money. I also think it's about um, recognition and it's about feeling like they won. I, I want to admit, like anyone who's ever been through a negotiation uh, or has a contract understands that it is, it is difficult and it is cantankerous and both sides say things about the other that they don't always mean because they want to win leverage. And I'm not sure how much of this is just agent speak, how much of this is paper talk. Um, but Paul, where are you at with this saga at this point? And where, where do you see it going? Start there. Oh man, you know, I, if you would have told me three months ago everything is trending towards the fact that he's not going to sign a new deal with Liverpool in terms of like the rumblings in the press. And then you were going to tell me that I felt as comfortable and at peace with this situation as I do. I probably wouldn't believe you, but that's where I'm at. I feel really at peace with this. Um, I think, I think we're really like parsing words on this thing. Like, what do we really know? We don't really know anything. We know that we know that like, Fabrizio, who has a pretty good track record, is telling us that there's no intention to sign the deal that's on the table. So we know there's a deal on the table, right? That's one thing we know. We know we've been negotiating this situation. People are like, I don't know what we're waiting for. Um, we've been negotiating this since the start of last summer, okay? So this is not something that they just decided in December, here's an offer. We know, so we know that we've been working on this for a while. We know there's a deal on the table. We know that he hasn't rejected it yet, Okay. So let's say that, like, you know, instead of saying like, he doesn't have any, you know, that's, that's for reason. That's what he, the agent's telling Fabrizio, which is like, I mean, pretty standard. Um, mm -hmm. 
And then we know that that Salah's saying he wants to stay at the club, right? So, like, all those things on the face of it, the things, the, the, the hard, essential facts that we know about this at face value aren't super concerning to me. Now, I will admit, this feels like it's trending like towards he's not signing, okay? And, and I think that's partially because of, like, the media spin and the influence that we're getting that and, and sort of the hysteria that's being created. My thought on this is I don't really necessarily agree that conditions equal money. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because like, to me, this is very similar to the genie situation where genie actually agreed to the money on the table, but didn't agree to the contract length. And for me, that's probably what this is about. I think this is probably more about the conditions and the guarantees than it is about the money. You know, if we're to be the figure being bandied about is that there's a $400,000 offer on the table, $400,000 pound week. I don't, that's complete no conjecture. Way. We don't know that for sure. We don't know. Um, so let's, let's assume there is 400 on the table. I'm okay with that number. I don't think it necessarily resets the, the, the structure of the payroll for the entire team, because I think that Mo is a known outlier. I think the players that play with him will, will be honest and recognize that more than anybody else. Here's my problem with this. He's turning 30 this summer. Is there a possibility that he's Ronaldo and like he's in incredible shape and he holds up and his body is just, he's just built differently and he sustains a really high level of play into his mid thirties. Sure. But what is Liverpool good at more than any other club in the world? They're good at mitigating risk. So for me, this is not a club that's going to put him on crazy wages guaranteed on a five-year contract. I don't see that. I see very similar to Genie. We're going to put you on this money for three years with a two-year extended optional offer with these conditions. Something to that effect. And I think that's where they're getting hung up. I think he wants guaranteed money for five years. And I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle in this situation. We're not Arsenal. Arsenal has completely sunk itself because it put multiple players that were in their 30s on huge, huge wages, got sunk by Sanchez, got sunk by Aubameyang, got sunk by – you could go down the list of players that have really, really hurt that team. Um, so we're not Arsenal. We're not City. You know, I've had people be like, well, it's going to reset the rates for Virgil van Dijk. Well, Virgil van Dijk's not a striker. He doesn't score goals, blah, 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 blah. Look, like if you look at the top five players in the world – 40% of those are goalkeepers and center backs. So you can't make that argument. It will affect the rest of the team. But people are like, oh, yeah, but those keepers are on Madrid and City. We're not them. Right, we're not them. We're not going to put a 30-year-old on that kind of money, okay, for into his mid-30s, no matter how Mo is built. Even if he is Ronaldo, even if he sustains that level of fitness and that level of play into his mid-30s, we will mitigate that risk as a club because we're not going to leverage our future on, on – a shot on an assumption uh, that age, you know, like physics really doesn't favor. Like, you know, most players hit 32, 33 and they start, she, uh, like, you know, they start to decline. I had somebody come at me with like Vardy and Aguero. I'm sorry. I love Vardy. I love Aguero. But if you're looking at those players and tell me they didn't sharply decline into the thirties, you weren't watching them. So, I mean, for me, I feel at pace about this, the, this club, if we put an offer on the table and Mo decides to walk away, this club will survive and we will still be an amazing side because look at the track record in the history of talent acquisition under this club. We've shown more than anything, we can restock the cabinet 
consistently. Um, and that's another way of risk mitigation is talent acquisition. People say, people say, you know, like there's this whole long article by Tompkins about how transfer business is a 50, 50 business at best. And whether it be analytics, scouting, combination thereof, we're hitting at almost 70%, which is crazy, crazy in the market. So back to the original point, I feel really at peace with the situation. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And I'm not here to throw Mo under the bus. I, my personal feelings are that his agent's a lawyer. He's not an agent. He's a lawyer. And I think he's out of his depth. I don't think he knows exactly what's the best spot to put Mo in right now. And he, he's just a numbers guy that's trying to win this thing. Um, we'll see what happens, but I'm fine either way. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I went on record last summer saying I didn't think he would leave. I argued with people on Facebook all the time saying, you know, this is negotiation. This is what happens. Um, that to me was, that was completely understood. This is very normal what I see right now from the agent making silly and ridiculous comments, um, the leaks that are coming out, like this week's leaks were that Mo will consider going to a Premier League rival if that were the only options and he had to leave Liverpool. Like, do you know what that is? That is literally like the guy realizing like uh, we turned them down in December, didn't return their phone calls. They haven't budged on their offer. We left for the African Cup of Nations, thought they would tank, and the club would struggle during that time. They haven't. They they went on a string and actually improved their form while the two of them were gone. And then at the end of that transfer window, they went out and bought a 24-year-old dynamic frontline player to add to the talent pool that they already have at the positions in which he played. Those things to me scream like a club who's digging in, not saying we don't want you, but saying we're ready for life without you. And if that is the case, right, that's when you start hearing that, you know, he's not going to take this offer and they leak the comments to Fabricio. And let's not pretend that it wasn't the agent who gave Fabricio the comments, seeing to the fact that you got the three laughing eyeball you got the laugh emojis seconds after the tweet went out like he knew it was coming maybe um then you start to talk about the comment about playing for for rivals do we really believe he's going back to chelsea do you think he would put on the city or the united uniform and ruin everything he's built here at liverpool i personally don't but i think these this is the desperation that starts to happen when you realize that you don't have any control. And the reason they don't have the control is, is they have built a winning model. They have proven they can win trophies. They have a manager that players around the globe revere and want to be a part of. And they know the dirty little secret out there that there's maybe like two or three clubs in the entire world that could afford a transfer fee and the contract. So it's not like he's going to be leaving Roma for 35 million pounds and he can go anywhere he wants and, and pick his way. He's not Mbappe without a $200 million transfer attached to him. So he can get 600,000 pounds a week. 
And I hate to say it, Barcelona just learned the big mistake. So for Mo, honestly, I believe he has two choices, really. Maybe three. But I feel like Mo has the ability to find a way to sign this deal with Liverpool, be a club legend from the standpoint of signing the contract, of supporters legend, um, show that he's not a selfish, it's not all about the money and it's also about the project. Or honestly, his other option is being the consolation prize and playing in Paris. Because Mbappe is going to leave and they're going to have a ton of money and they're going to want to throw it at somebody to save face for them. This is a club that was booing Lionel Messi and Neymar on the weekend for losing a midweek match. Is that really where you want to go spend the next five years of your career, scoring 50 goals a year and not winning anything outside of France? Because that's really what I believe is his only option. I think he will stay here. But I think it's going to be really close come the summer because the further they push this ownership group to planning for life without Mo, which is what happens every month it goes by, I believe they start thinking about what they could do with the 100 to $150 million of transfer fees they would get for him and reinvesting into the club long-term. And I'm with you, Paul. I'm comfortable where we are. I do not want him to leave by any means. Um, but I believe every week that goes by, we are one week closer to Mo Salah not being a member of Liverpool Football Club. And I believe that would be, you know, by the time we kick off next year. I don't actually believe um, that we will let him play out his deal and just run it down and do the, let's run this back for one more. I think he's too valuable of an asset. And I think you'd have to start planning for life without him, which we might have saw 20 minutes of to end last match with Mane sliding back to his comfortable position yep. on the right. Yep. With Diaz on the left. And honestly, maybe this gives Bobby another contract. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took that money and went and bought themselves a recognized number nine striker. Yeah. But we'll see where it goes. Um, I know Boaz wants us to touch on uh, life after Klopp. Um, we're going to, and we will get that. We're going to save that for another podcast. He's got two more years left after this that he's said he's committed to staying through. Um, I expect him to leave when his contract is up. We'll worry about who the next manager is then. Let's, let's just take every day and don't take a minute of it for granted while we have this man here. Cause honestly, um, the, the signings of Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Allison, Nabi Keita, they all sound brilliant. Not letting Henderson leave was a great move, right? The single greatest move that FSG did was hiring Jurgen Klopp. And the second greatest thing they did was being such great owners. And yes, all you FSG out people, I just said it, being such great owners that he re-signed two separate extensions so that he could be here longer than he's been at any other club. And anyone who questions how they, how he feels about FSG, go read the article where the clickbait was Jurgen Klopp says doom about Mo Salah's contract. But if you read the actual article, 
He has two sentences where he says it's in Mo's hands. I'm not that worried. The club will do what's right. And then they ask him about all the ownership. And if he feels he's supported, if he gets enough money, and then they ask him about Abramovich and about all of that. And he goes into how it's dirty money and we should have asked more questions. And he basically says, I don't have to worry about that because the owners here do everything right. And I wouldn't want to be working for owners who do anything different because it's not just a business. It's more than that. It's not just right and wrong. And it was brilliant. And I would have shared it all over Facebook, but it would have just made me get into arguments with a bunch of idiots who just want to hate on them because, you know, they don't have dirty oil money. That's the narrative that we're fighting, right? I mean, the narrative is why are we messing about with Mo? Pay him the money. He deserves it. Pay Mo whatever he wants. Um, do Not just paying him is disrespectful. Uh, if Mo leaves this club, it won't because of any. It won't be because of what anything about. If Mo leaves, it, he will leave not because we didn't put a fair offer on the table. It will. He will leave because we refuse to leverage the future on his contract. That's why he will leave. And and for anyone out there that questions how bad contracts and mismanaging money and commingling funds amongst businesses. This is not a joke. They only had food in the press box at Chelsea for all the reporters this weekend because it was prepaid for the entire year through the catering company. They didn't have food to sell in the stadium because they hadn't prepaid their vendors because Abramovich would pay basically COD after every match. That's how mismanaged that club was being run. They had $17 million of total assets the day they were frozen that wasn't attached to a personal or alternate bank account of Abramovich's. It's amazing that they were able to keep this house of cards going. And we have built something that is financially stable and sound and will be for years to come. So I just hope that folks recognize that. Uh, as we uh, love to complain more and more. So we're going to dive in um, to Wednesday's match. Um, you know, we have Arsenal. It'll be on Peacock, 4.15 Eastern. If you're anywhere else, figure it out yourself. If you haven't set your clocks back yet, shame on you and you were an hour early for work today. Um, this is a nerve-wracking match for me, Paul. I won't lie. Uh, Even before City dropped points today, I was a little bit nervous. Um, I do love how Arsenal has been playing. I think that they have become so much stronger at the back due to uh, Ramsdale and his just, you know, really his elevation of being the best English keeper uh, and really organizing their defense. And then, obviously, getting rid of you know, getting rid of Aubameyang was one of those uh, additions by subtraction. Clearly, it made the youngsters feel more empowered. Uh, it also puts, in my opinion, their best number nine on the pitch, which is Lacazette and has been the whole time he's been there. I don't love the guy. I wouldn't want the player, but he does what they need. So as we prepare for this match, 
What are your thoughts regarding maybe rotation, the lineup? What would you expect to see Jurgen do come Wednesday at the Emirates? So um, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a tough match. Arteta has done a phenomenal job on beating in six. I mean, he started the season on the hot seat, right? And I think I've always rated him as a manager. I know a lot of people don't feel the same way. Uh, but I thought, you know, I think he really sort of uh, strengthened his craft under Pep. And I think that he his biggest hurdle was Arsenal's team itself. You know, and I think he dismantled a lot of the problem pieces. And I think he still got some. I think Lacazette's probably out the door this year. Uh, I, I, I think he's shaping that team finally into what he wants it to be. If you look at the best, it's a little bit like Chelsea where the best pieces when they play the most fluently are when they have their own young kids in, you know, whether it's Martinelli or Saka or Smith Rose come on phenomenal form this year off the bench. Um, so, I mean, I think we're going to see that continued improvement from them. Um, it'll be a tough match. I think, I think from a lineup standpoint, I think it's going to be this the 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 usual back four. I do think Montep is not going to start this one. I'm I'm going to say I think Kanate is going to start this. Um, you know, it's the whole three games in a week span like rule we have with Montep. You just don't do that with him. Um, and this would be his third and essentially a week. Um, so. I think Kanate will be there. Uh, that leaves us with a similar situation with the midfield, though, right? Our strongest midfield has played a lot. Um, I think these points are too important. I think I've gone back and forth with whether I think this is a Diago start or a Keita start, and that's really the question for me. I think Fabinho and Henderson are locked in on this match. I think Keita gets to start for continuity. I think hmm. – you get more out of this tactically if Thiago is coming off the bench than if you have Naby on the bench. I think you just have a, a – a, he can come in and really change the flow of the game off the bench. So I think it's a Keita, Fab, Hendo midfield. I don't think Mo makes this match. I think there's an issue with this foot. I think they're going to be cautious with it and they're going to rest him. Um, in that situation, I think we're going to see Mane right in this match. Because I think it's a different situation with Mo out. I think we keep Diaz on the left, and I think Jota goes centrally. He plays the best when he's central. I know he played a ton on that left wing for Wolves, but then you got Diaz. you got to figure out what to do with. So I think Jota is going to be central. Mane is going to go to his preferred right-hand side, uh, and I think that you'll see Diaz on the left. I think that's what you'll probably see. Yeah, David Leslie says, uh, they always choke when they play us, talking about Arsenal. Plus, if Xhaka plays, game over. I mean, most likely if Xhaka plays against us, it'll be game over for him before 90 minutes, and he'll get an early shower and a walk past some irritated and aggravated supporters. Um, they do have a mistake in them. Um, I'd say the biggest surprise for me, you mentioned a lot of their youth, and I totally agree, Paul. For me, what's really turned the corner for them is, is I believe Mo Martin Odegaard has become the world talent that people thought he was when he was 15 years old and he signed at Real Madrid. People forget they sent him out on loan five times, I believe, because he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Luka Modric. 
The issue is, is at 36, Luka Modric is still probably the best at his position in Europe, and he's still putting it out every day, and he's like, hey, asshole, I'm not giving you my job. It's basically like, you know, what Tom Brady has done for years and years as a quarterback in the NFL, and I guess the asshole's coming back to do it again. He's like, yeah, no, I don't want anyone to have this job, and and I feel like that's what happened. Like, they made plans twice at Real Madrid to replace Modric, and both times they were like, yeah, and you're going to have to sell that player because – uh." I want a three-year deal, and I'm still better than that kid, and I will be in three years. But he's been so good. I mean, he's been pulling the strings, like, mm. in an actual creative. And it's not like a number 10 and not – he's not Mesut Ozil in doing nothing. Mm. He's genuinely playing in, like, the number eight role with a little bit of Arteta, a little bit of Gerrard, yet he has the magic in his boots, basically, yeah. to pull off any type of a pass. And – you can start to see why Madrid was so excited about him and why every once in a while there'd be grumblings that if Madrid was done with him, that, you know, he was a player that Klopp liked, that there was a guy that we wanted. I don't, you know, we were in on him. He was supposedly a Liverpool supporter as a kid. He actually came to Liverpool, but then again, right. This was six, seven years ago. And at that time, the allure of going to play for Real Madrid was just too much. And that's where, I bring it back to what we're building here. Now a 15-year-old, 16-year-old Harvey Elliott wants to play at Liverpool. A 16-year-old Kyde Gordon wants to sign at Liverpool. A Carvalho at 19 is ready to come from Fulham and play for Liverpool because I do believe there's opportunity for you. And there is a model being built that there's a, this is a club being built up at the same level of Real Madrid and Barcelona and I just think that you have to keep that control. So I actually think we're going to get the exact same lineup as you. I would be 50-50 on whether or not I think Thiago gets a start here. I almost felt not starting him the last match was eyeballed to give him this start. Um, but like you, I've seen, I've seen real change when he comes on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's, I think that's too much to ask Nabi Keita. And I feel like Nabi Keita is the type of player, like he gets lost in his head a little bit. He yeah. should probably start a match, know his job, his roles. And he's got to know he gives you 60 good minutes and then you're going to come get somebody else in for him. He comes in at the 60-minute mark. That's when I'm always worried that we see the over-aggressive Nabi that gets yeah. a red card for the first challenge he goes into. Um, yeah. Where Thiago will just get a yellow – you know, but he'll earn it with, you know, four fouls on the same play. So um, let's do quick score prediction. What do you got for me? I'll go uh, – Jaka is going to start this match, by the way. I'll go 2-1 I'll go two, one, Liverpool. So I'm going to be really honest. I was planning to wear the black hat, be the bad guy, and come on this podcast and call for a 1-1 draw because I honestly felt like it was going to happen. The city match and result is actually changing my opinion. And the reason is, is I believe that with a full day that Jurgen will not have these guys so amped up for the opportunity to make up these points, but get them so laser focused that every match is important. But we know now what this match does for us. This match not only puts it in our own hands, this match puts it in our own hands, even if we, you know, both lose a match and drop a bunch of goals, this, this puts the point differential, not talking about goal differential. 
And I think that's a really, really important thing. And I think it also puts the onus that it's on Liverpool to make sure that they show up and that they take control. Klopp said when we were 11 points back, it's out of our hands. And unless there is a major, I think he called it a, he didn't call it a meltdown, but unless there's a, like a major setback at City in the table, we won't be able to get back into this until it's in our own hands. And I remember him saying, I don't want to talk about the title until it's in our own hands. Well, as of today, it's back in our own hands if we win every match from here on out. And I feel like that added energy, that added excitement will probably and hopefully spurn us on. So we are going to go over a minute here, not too much longer. But we usually only talk about fantasy on this podcast when things are either going good for Kelly or going exceptionally well for Kelly. Or, well, and me and Paul like to also talk about it when things aren't going well for Muchin or he hasn't changed his roster or, you know, he forgets that there's Friday matches after we tell him on Friday. But I figured uh, in a moment like this today, we wouldn't focus at the top of the table as much because, well, it's only good to talk about things when it's working in your favor. And Kelly's had a couple rough weeks and she slipped out of the top spot in the American Scouser. Um, fantasy table but unnecessary pet trauma Paul Bickler is up to 10th place in our league table he is uh, sitting on 1868 points with a weak score of 82 which is pretty awesome and then two spots down is me Galley, uh, Christopher Galvin with the Hendam Street FC Exactly the same 82 points, which so I was I was pretty sure that you just went ahead and copied my lineup. So I looked because I made a joke that I was gonna do that to you. We have seven different starters in the in your eleven. I know why it was unbelievable. And I will say, um the Connor Cody goal was like I was so happy because it meant Everton was losing. And then I remembered that it also meant that you just got a goal from a defender, three bonus points, and I lost a clean sheet with Everton. And I started thinking to myself, this is why people do hate fantasy sports. Because when you're playing head-to-head, you almost root, and then you have to remember, like, I can't root for this. Um, I do think by the end of this week, uh, with our both having a few more double game weeks, I think I have a couple more players going the rest of the way. And I did use my bench boost uh, so that – obviously played a role here uh but we will definitely hopefully keep rooting for kelly to win this thing because it's been our goal this podcast all year long and i'm hoping that she can uh you know pick it up she's a little not, bit she's here. back at the top it just updated but, today she's back at the top oh, by like good. a point awesome One but point. we will we will keep with our updates here because now there is well a clear and only rivalry, which is which of the two of us are going to finish ahead of each other in this thing. And we would talk about our friend, the Polish Prince, but as soon as he started talking shit and telling us how far ahead he was than us, he has dropped like a proverbial Polish stone. Um, so with that, to everybody that's listened, we'll remind you as always, please like, share, comment. Um, if you're not following our pages, we're, Obviously, on our Facebook group where you see us in here, we also have a YouTube channel. Um, We have our Instagram page. Our Twitter accounts are going. We are trying to grow all the social media platforms. If you have comments, ideas, 
content you think you'd love to see on the website, send us a message on Facebook or through YouTube or one of our variety of options. And um, one of the kind, nice members of our admin team will get back to you, which basically means someone other than me or Paul will <laughs> probably get back to you. That's and right. with that, to all the listeners, everyone, thank you very much. Enjoy the match on Wednesday. To Muchin, I believe Chris and Fishkin will be back on Thursday night, hopefully to go over the Arsenal victory, set or go over our victory against Arsenal, and prepare for our FA Cup quarterfinals. On to Wembley again. All right, everyone. Thanks for everything. Have a great night.